Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. For us, what I'd like us to think about today is the uh, Old Testament lesson, the lesson about Naomi and Ruth and all of that. And so um, Naomi and her husband Elimelech, they leave the, the promised land. They go into Moab just down to the south of them. And as they go down there because of a famine, okay, and it's just a really bad time. So think of a bad season in your life. That's not difficult, is it? We live in a rough world. Finding a bad season is not that difficult. And so if you think of that bad season, and then they went down, and, and so the family goes down to Moab because there's, there's produce for them there. They can live. And, and while they're there, the, the two sons marry, and, and life seems like it's going really, really well. And then Elimelech dies, and the sons die, and life is really miserable. Now, for those of you who have lost loved ones, that's difficult, isn't it? But you know, for those women in that time, it's also a loss of status. And it's a loss of the economy. The economics flow generally through the men. And so it's not just the emotional loss It's the loss of their status, of their name. It's the loss of of the economic loss as well. These ladies, these women, are in a really hard situation there in Moab. That's why the language that Naomi uses, there's one word in there that talks about bitter. And when she goes back home, she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because look at how the Lord has treated me. I wonder, at this point in your life and your day, how many of you would like to approach me for a name change tomorrow, today? feel pretty bitter. Look how God's been treating me. Okay. There's a uh, young man that I met yesterday. Actually, I know him from another place, but uh, saw him in the hospital yesterday. And he's been there since last Tuesday. He uh, went in with just pain that was causing him just, just tremendous. When I would text him and say, what's your pain level at? He would say, it's a nine without meds. Okay? And it's just a consistent nine. And as I look at you, many, if not most all of you, know what pain is like far more than I do. He's dealing with that. He's 32 years old. And the doctors say to him that he has three fractures in his back. And they say to him, your back, your spine is like an 80 or 90-year-old or someone with osteoporosis. But you're 32 and you don't have osteoporosis. Life is really hard for him. And, and not only that, but it's also his heart flow, his heart rate. And not, his heart rate just laying there in the hospital bed is 125, which is high. And the heart flow is at 18%, which it should be like over 55, I think is right. It should be over that, at least over that. Okay? So here's a 32-year-old man who's got all this health stuff going on. And when I went in to visit him, he could be hopeless too. Hopeless would describe what Naomi could be feeling, a sense of hopelessness, bitterness. He could be sitting back saying, I trust you, God. Why are you allowing all of this to happen in my life? 
What's the solution then to hopelessness and despair? I think it's so interesting, and it's one of those uh, passages that you could easily slip by. But the Old Testament lesson starts by saying this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. In the days when the judges ruled. Hmm. What were the judges, what was the time in Israel's life when the, when the judges were ruling? Well, the judges always reminds me of cycles. Okay? Because there's a little, little picture that I have that talks about the judges, and the picture for that is somebody on a motorcycle. Okay? And it's just they keep doing this little cycle thing over and over and over again. So they would wander away from God, and then God would bring an oppressor into their lives, and they would cry out to God, save us, and then God would send a deliverer, someone like, oh, maybe um, Samson. That's one you guys would all know, right? Samson, Gideon. Those are all names of the judges. And so they would come in and they would rescue them from this oppressive power. And then they would go back to walking away from God and doing their own thing again. And then so then God would send another oppressor and then the just cycle would happen again. So if you think about it, you know, turning back. Life is hard. What should I turn back to? That's really the question. What's the solution Should I turn back to trusting in myself more and more? Should I turn back to trying harder? This wasn't part of what I wanted to share with you, but it just struck me and I thought, this might fit, kind of. So a couple days ago, I was taking my dog out for a walk. I think this story is embarrassing and slash funny, so i got to tell it to you because it just strikes with what I like to share. So I'm taking my dog out for a walk. It's a little cooler out. You know, it's not... 95 degrees, first thing in the morning. So I put on a coat, a little bit of a jacket. It's a jacket, not a coat. Put a jacket on, and I zip it up a little bit because it was a little chilly. So I zip it up, and I take the dog out for a walk, one with my wife and the other dog, and when we come back in, I get back in, and all of a sudden my, I got my jacket up a little bit too high, and the zipper won't undo. Which is not a big deal for 99% of you, but for the 1% of us that gets claustrophobic... You know what happened inside of me, but, okay? And I'm suddenly thinking, this jacket that I just wore for like 10 minutes walking around the the place now has got to come off immediately because I feel so restricted and confined. I can't move. I can't do anything. Well, yeah, I can. I can do everything I used to do just five minutes ago, right? No problem. But my brain's going crazy, and I'm filled with anxiety, and all this crazy stuff is happening. And I just calmly say to my wife, yeah, my zipper won't go down. But inside, I'm saying, my zipper won't go down. (laughs) And so she sees that there's a little more terror in my eyes than I'm letting out with my words. And so she comes up and she says, yeah, it's stuck. I was like, yeah, I knew that before I told you that. Okay. And so she says, oh, well, we should pray about that. And so she said, sure, God, help us to get this off and everything good. And then like two and a half seconds later, zip, down it goes. I'm like, I am so blessed, okay? But on the back side of that, I thought, you know, what I wanted to turn back to was self-sufficiency, self-trust, and where's the biggest knife I can find to cut myself out of this crazy jacket? Right? And isn't that true sometimes in less terrorizing situations? What do I turn back to? 
Naomi looks to her two daughters-in-laws and says, Turn back. Turn back to your old ways, to your old families, to your old gods. The time of the judges, what would happen after every cycle? They would turn back to the ways of wandering away from God. What do we like to do? Do we like to turn back to those old ways? You know, I'll just trust myself. I'll just take care of it myself. I can do it. Just like me, standing in my jacket, freaking out, trying to calm myself down with eyes on Jesus, desperately needing my wife to be present. How many of us in those times of distress turn back away from the community that can be right there to help us, turn back away from God who's right there to help us and try and do it all by myself? We make really good two-year-olds, don't we? I'll do it myself, Jesus. Which doesn't work all that well. Wasn't working for me. My terror and anxiety really fits well with what this young man in the hospital told me. Because you know... What this young man told me was that a few years earlier, he had been serving in the military. He was in the military in Iraq. And as he was serving in Iraq, he was on this one little mission. In this mission, three IEDs came up and exploded around them. And they were in a 15-minute gunfight. And he was terrorized. And after that, he... You know, he says there's kind of two kinds of guys that go through the military, those that are like cocky and like, nothing scares me, and then the guys that are scared to death, which is what he was. And someone said, how are you doing? He says, leave me alone. Just be quiet. After the whole thing was over, he just said, I'm breathing. I'm thankful. breathing. First time I met him, I said, because I like to ask this question, how can I pray for you? He says, I'm breathing, just pray that I keep breathing. And that first time I met him, I didn't have any of the story, none of the life story. And so I just kind of was like, ah, that's kind of, he just put me off. But you know what? He wasn't. That's how he does life. Because he says, you know what? When I'm going through all of this, this man, this young man in the hospital who could be so angry and so frustrated with the terrorizing stuff that's happening around him that's happened for years, this young man says, I just need to be faithful to remember God and leave room for him to act because he's taken care of me in the past and he will continue to take care of me now. He delivered me through those IEDs. He delivered me through the gunfight. He delivered me through two ACLs on one knee and one ACL on another. He's delivering me through the diabetes I'm struggling with and more things than you can shake a stick at. And now he's delivering me through this. I need to wait and give him time to act in his time and his way. He needed to be faithful to wait on God. 
in a time in the judges when life was in, when the people of God were anything but faithful. A foreigner, Ruth from Moabite, was completely faithful. Faithful to Naomi, her mother-in-law, to say, I'll go where you go, I'll worship who you worship, I am part of your family, I'm going to be faithful to you. That's what this young man, that's what he was. He was faithful to say, God, I trust you. I don't even understand. He said, you know, for 12 years, I, just, I grew up in the church, but for 12 years, I just walked away and said, I'm going to do my own thing. But God was faithful during those 12 years, and he brought me back to where I can now see things more clearly again. And he's been faithful, faithful, faithful when I wasn't. I can trust him. It reminds me of our epistle lesson for today. It says this, If we have died with him in our baptism, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself or deny himself. That's our God. Ruth gives us a little picture of Jesus who remains faithful. Jesus is faithful always for you to take care of things. Think of a time when Jesus, right before he was betrayed, is in the garden of Gethsemane, and he says these words, Father, take this cup from me, this cup of suffering. The payment for all the sins of all the world would be laid on Jesus. And he says, take this cup from me. But you know what he does? He doesn't turn back to anything else because he has nothing else. He just turns back to what he's always turned back to, which is his father. And says, not my will, but your will be done. Ruth gives us a picture of Jesus. Jesus shows us what we can turn back to. I want you to be turning back because to turn back just means to repent. It just means to turn from the way I'm going, to turn back to the one who is always faithful. Always. For you and for me. In the middle of the terrorizing, difficult struggles that we go through, he's faithful. It's kind of like what happened with Peter, right? After the devastation of his turning away from God and betraying Jesus, God says, I'm coming after you. Just turn back to me. How many of us have lived faithless lives this week? Not us. I'll put my hand under my legs. Nope, not me. I was great this week. Maybe next week when you struggle a little bit more, you can remember there's probably a little bit less about how faithful you are and a whole lot more about how faithful he is for you. I have one more thing I'd like for Roberto to put on the screen. This is something from C.S. Lewis's book, The Problem of Pain. And I'm going to read it to you, and then I'd like for you to process it with me because C.S. Lewis is a dense writer, which means it's not like dumb, dense in the sense of it's heavy and a lot packed in there, and language that we don't normally use now. Okay? So let's look at this. It is just here where God's providence seems at first to be most cruel that the divine humility, the stooping down of the highest, most deserves praise. 
We are perplexed to see misfortune falling upon decent, inoffensive, worthy people, on capable, hardworking mothers of families, or diligent, thrifty little tradespeople, on those who have worked so hard and so honestly for their modest stock of happiness and now seem to be entering on the enjoyment of it with the fullest right. Let me implore the reader to try to believe, if only for the moment, that God, who made these deserving people, may really be right when he thinks that their modest prosperity and the happiness of their children are not enough to make them blessed, that all this must fall from them in the end, and that if they have not learned to know him, they will be wretched or wretched. And therefore he troubles them, warning them in advance of an insufficiency that one day they will have to discover. The life to themselves and their family stands between them and the recognition of their need. He makes that life less sweet to them. Go back to the first one again. It's just here where God's providence, God's taking care of us, God's sustaining work, His providing, His doing all that we need seems to be most cruel. Do you ever think of God as being cruel? Yeah, sometimes, okay? Some of us would say, no, that's awesome. Some of us would be like, yeah, I lived this last week, and He came kind of cruel. Okay, that was really, really hard, and I don't know why that was so hard. Okay, the whole book we're reading, Hope in the Dark, remember? Dark, wrestle with God, things seem really hard. But the divine humility, God coming down, stooping down, it's when, he's, it's when here, when he's providing something for us that we don't seem to really want, that he deserves the most praise. When I'm going through what I'm going through, he deserves praise for this. Keep going. We are perplexed to see misfortune falling upon decent, inoffensive, worthy people. Next one. On capable, hardworking mothers of families, diligent, thrifty little tradespeople, on the people who seem to be the righteous ones. You. Me. For us, we seem to, we seem to be the hardworking, the deserving of God's blessings, of, of God's aid. Circus work so hard, so honestly for the little bit of happiness that we want. And we seem to be entering into that little bit of happiness. Maybe when the people, Naomi moved down, and she and her husband were in this land, and they seem to be thriving fairly well, and, and the two sons are now married. This is, things are going well. Yay. Think for just a moment. The God who made these deserving people like my friend in the hospital, like these others, might be really, might be right when that happiness, that modest prosperity are not really enough to make them blessed. Keep going. This all must fall from them in the end because what's really most important, what's really most important isn't that your kids and grandkids have a nice job have food on the table, money in the bank, and a successful life. Because if they have all of that without knowing Jesus, what's the last word? I have a question for you. 
Do you believe what C.S. Lewis says? Or is it just okay that they have this modicum of happiness going through life if they don't have Jesus? Next slide. And therefore, he troubles them. Oh, no, pastor, don't tell us that. Could God possibly be troubling my family? Could God possibly be allowing these things to happen so that they'll turn to him? That's what happened in my friend's life in the hospital. That's what God wants to do in our lives. How many people, when they win the lottery, their first thoughts are, Yay, God, I get to live more and more for you. When everything goes right, do we say, Yay, God, this is now life is easy. I will be more in tune with you, trusting in you and depending on you more and more. Is that what normally happens? Because that's not what I see. That's not what I see. Sometimes it's the modest, nice, easy, comfortable life that gets in the way of seeing my need for Jesus. Do you know that I constantly struggle and every day I set up my plan to not struggle today? Every day. Every day. I'm not going to struggle today. I'm not going to have this problem that hangs over me like a cloud that I can't ever seem to get traction against. Every day. You know what happens every day? I fail and desperately need Jesus. You know what he's trying to help me understand? I'm like this branch that needs to stay connected. So does your family, so do you, so do I. Because when I'm connected, you know what I'm connected to? The faithful vine. The one who gives me life and hope and abundance and joy. Amen?